Welcome to episode 348 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker, author of What, When, Why, and creator of the supplement line Avalon X. And I'm here with my co-host, Vanessa Spina, sports nutrition specialist, author of Keto Essentials, and creator of the Tone Breath Ketone Analyzer and Tone Lux Red Light Therapy Panels. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and ketogenicgirl.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment. To be featured on the show, email us your questions to questions at ifpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. So pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine if it's that time and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in 
a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 348 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Vanessa Spina. Hello, everyone. How are you today, Vanessa? I'm doing well. How are you? I am good. I feel like I want to like tell you updates, but they're going to be, we're recording so far in advance that by the time this comes out, they're going to be not relevant. But can I tell you about my Taylor Swift Eras Tour concert experience? I was just going to ask how it was. So yeah. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was an experience. I've never been to a movie in a theater where it's people are like not in their seats. I've never been to a concert in a movie theater. I I've heard that they've become like actually people going to the opera and stuff in the theater now. So, but seeing Taylor Swift concert in the theater would be crazy. It was so magical. It was funny afterwards. My sister was like, I thought it was going to be a documentary. And I was like, no, it's just the concert again. I thought it was a documentary too. No, it's just the concert. <laughs> like just round two. Well, that's nice. Like, cause yeah, for people who didn't get to go like me, you can like see the concert or who went and want to go again. <laughs> like me relive it. You now you can watch it in, like infinite amount of times. It was so great. And the crowd that we went to, because she's doing it only on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for three weeks to make it like a concert experience. Our crowd, we went to a little bit of an earlier showing, at least for me, a six o'clock. And it was all teeny boppers. Like everybody was like age 10 to probably 14, 15, maybe. They looked fabulous. They were all dressed up. They were all with their moms who were all drunk on wine, which was also fabulous. And then it was like me and my sister. When it started, everybody was sitting down and I was talking to my sister. I was like, people better start dancing. And then four like little teeny bopper girls like went in the aisles and they were like dancing, like little bit nervous because nobody else was standing up, but then they got joined by more. And eventually there was like 10 of them. And then they moved to the front of the movie theater screen. And then like 10 other girls from our row went in the sides. And I kept telling my sister, so this was like in the first probably 20 minutes or so. I was like, I'm going to join them. I'm going to join them. Yeah, you are. And she was like, she was like, I kept being like, when I get enough wine in me, I'm going to join them. And my, <laughs> my sister was like, when the music calls, you just go. And I was like, will you come with me? She was like, no. I was like, okay. And then at one point, like half of the girls came and sat down again because it was a slow song. And I turned to the little girl beside me and she was, she was like 12. And I was like, are you guys going to go back? And she was like, probably. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going with you next time. And she was like, okay. And then, so then like the next time they went back, I was like, this is my chance. And I like, <laughs> like went with them. And I was like, awkwardly like in the aisles. And then I heard somebody behind me and I turned and it was my sister and she joined me. We just stayed there the whole time. And it was like, ah, oh, it was so immersive and so magical. And I just, I highly recommend it to everybody. She's like changing the movie theater experience. 
Wow. Another thing she's changing and leveling up. I was in the shower today and I was like, I think it's because I had her songs on, obviously, but I was like, I still can't believe she made over a billion dollars on that tour. Like that's just epic. Just unbelievable. And she brought so much joy to so many people while doing it. And also like brought so much prosperity to so many people who were like involved from the truckers to like everyone sound techs, like everyone who was involved in the whole thing, like just what an incredible manifestation that she like put out into the world. Like just amazing. No, it's so true. It's, I mean, it's, it's a huge boom actually to the economy. Like actually my sister and I were actually talking about that during the show because we were watching it. And we were like, why do people hate her? And my sister was like, it's literally just because they're jealous. Like, cause she hasn't done anything to anybody. <laughs> There's like nothing you can say. Like that's awful <laughs> that she's done. Everything has just been wonderful. So it was really lovely. It was, oh, and we, and there was this beautiful moment of humanity because when we were in the aisles, there was a little girl like hiding behind us. She was probably like a younger sister of one of the teeny boppers. And she was really shy and not dancing and looked really awkward. And we tried to get her to dance with us. And she was, I think we just scared her even more. But then at one point, like the girls from the front, they came and they like got her. They were like, come with us. And they like brought her to the front. And then by the end, she was dancing too. We were like, this is so beautiful. <laughs> it's like humanity looking out for each other. That's so adorable. I'm so glad you had an amazing time. I did. And I posted for friends on Instagram my epic outfit, which I'm going to reprise for Halloween because I need to wear it again. I was going to say, have you picked out your Halloween costume? Well, I was going to be Sleeping Beauty, but now I'm going to be this one again, the Taylor Swift, because this outfit must be worn again since it took like 15 hours to make. Oh, the one that you d did all the sequins that you were, yes, okay, building the oxytocin. Mm-hmm. So many sequins were engaged with with this outfit. That's amazing. Yeah, I can't wait to see what it looks like. For listeners, I made, do you have an Amazon storefront? No. Oh, yes. I don't, it's not that act. I mean, it's got my, you know, my cookbook, my main book in it. I think that's about all. I did not. So I just created one. I should make one like for what you just said, like for my book. The first thing I made was I made a a Taylor Swift costume era shopping list. So if people want to make the costume, they can <laughs> get all the supplies. So I, I made that at melanieavalon.com slash Avalon. And by the time this comes out, I will have updated it hopefully for other things. And by the time this comes out, Vanessa... Oh my God, so much will have happened. Last episode will be the first episode with Dave on this show. Nice. Which means that will have already happened. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we're in like the future. <laughs> we are in the future right now, except not. <laughs> oh my gosh. How are you? How are things with you? Good. Yeah, we. Um, I found our Halloween costumes. So, Oh, what are you doing? I was just, I was going through so many different things and I was spending way too much time on it at time that I just don't have right now. Cause I'm like, you know, as we talked about, I'm nesting, <laughs> I'm in nesting mode <laughs> and uh, just organizing everything, getting everything ready for baby, like eight week, it's like eight weekends. Like it's really not that long. So then I was like, what would Luca, like, what would Luca be the most excited to wear? And then I'll build it, you know, around that. And I was like, fireman, like he would love that. 
he would love to be a fireman because <laughs> he's obsessed with like rescue vehicles, service vehicles. He waves like at every ambulance, fire truck. Like he just gets so it's a typical boy thing, but he gets so excited about it. So it's like if he had like a little fireman's hat and a fireman's outfit and like a you know, like a fire extinguisher and like that kind of thing, he would be so excited. And then if his dad was matching him and his mom, he calls us Dida and Mima. His Dida and Mima are matching him. So I got Pete a firefighter outfit, which I think I'm going to like too. (laughs) Also enjoy (laughs) just looking at him in it. And then I got one for myself, which is like, it's like a outfit that doesn't exist in real life, right? It's like a, a female, a woman's fireman, like dress. It's basically like the fireman outfit, but like made into a dress, a cute dress. It's not like... I get what you're saying. It's not... I wouldn't say it's like hoey. <laughs> it's not like that. Like It's not... Wait, it's not like a sexy fireman? No. Well, yeah, kind of, but I want to say it's like modest. Like it's, you know... I'm pregnant. So I'm like, <laughs> I feel like the pregnant firefighter. But I was also debating between this like cute, like cheerleading dress with like pom poms. And I was like, I could be like a pregnant cheerleader. But I was like, is that weird? Like, <laughs> is that like controversial or funny? I don't know. So I'm going to try both on and I'll let Pete decide. I want to see pictures. All of us being dressed up as, uh, you know, firemen slash fire people, fire women, whatever will be, will be cute. It'll just be so cute to see him in it. And I was just so happy when we decided, cause I was like, I know he's going to be into this. I know he's going to want to actually wear it. Unlike the lion. He was like, you know, we had to kind of chase him around, to put it on him. He was not a lion fan. It's just like, he was like only one. And he was just like, you know, I don't want to wear this like hat that, you know, it's just constricting. Like he doesn't understand costumes yet. So yeah, I just feel really good that, I have it, them all picked out and I ordered them. They're coming this week. So we're going to try them on and assuming all goes well, we have a Halloween party with a bunch of our friends and their kids. So it'll be really cute to see all the kids dressed up and everyone dressed up. So yeah, I'm excited for it. Do they trick or treat there? I think I asked you that before. So they do, but like in the expat neighborhoods. So some of my friends are going to this like expat neighborhood. Wait, what is expat? Expat is like short for expatriate. So like it's Americans, Canadians, like Westerners who are here. And there's certain neighborhoods where there's like lots of expats. Typically there's one here specifically where there's like a lot of Americans. Like if you walk around that neighborhood, all you hear is English. It's like in the city, right? So they're doing, organizing a big trick-or-treating thing. So you can go there and volunteer and hand candy out. And yeah, we're not going to it because I just like, I just don't, I don't want to celebrate like all the candy and everything, but we'll do, you know, the Halloween party. And yeah, it's it's a a tough holiday for me. Like... (laughs) Weirdly, because when I was a kid, I loved it so much, but it, you know, all that sugar and candy really like affected me in my life. So I also have like a lot of mixed feelings about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny because growing up, it was a little bit controversial because I was raised super Bible Belt Christian South. And so it was seen as a little bit satanic. I mean, we still like pagan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, we still trick or treated and all the things, but it wasn't. Yeah, we, we, 
It was not the crowd favorite holiday. Yeah, now I'm really not about all that candy. So that said, I just love Halloween. I like every. I like love everything about. I love the costumes. I love the um, the decorations. Yeah, starting like now through the end of the year is my favorite seasons. I'm so excited. We're like in the good times now. Yeah, I've been having yesterday and today. I was thinking about you today because I was like, I bet Melanie doesn't have this, but I'm having like almost like a summer, end of summer, like grief. Like I'm like, why is summer? Oh, I thought you were going to say that. I don't, yeah, I have no idea what that is. I'm like, you know, we were just at the beach and then we got back and it was sunny for like last week. And then now it's just cold. So it's like, it's a big, it's a big shift. It's like I had to pull our winter jackets out today. I'm not ready. (laughs) I'm just not ready for it. And every year it gets like harder. And Pete and I sat on the, we're sitting on the couch on Saturday and we like pinky promised that this is like the last winter that we're doing (laughs) because we were like... I don't know, the darkness. I just miss being outside all day. And I was tonight, I was like, I think I just have to dress warmer and just make an effort and we can still be outside, you know, a lot of the day, but I miss being outside. I really do. Cause it's, yeah. But you know, that's, we kind of distract ourselves with all those holidays, but I guess for you, you don't have that end of summer grieving. (laughs) No, I literally have been dreaming about the upcoming time change when it gets dark at like five. I'm like, please come now. Oh, I just love it. I love it. Darkness and the cold. Mm-hmm. It's so great. It's all, oh, it's wonderful. But don't you, do you ever feel like, it's my problem with it is that. <laughs> I didn't even know what you were going to say, but. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've, I've grown to compensate with other things like red light therapy you know, and sauna when I'm not pregnant. I love that stuff. Cold therapy, even in the winter, I do it mostly in the winter. You know, I've, I've embraced all those things. I think that the seasons changing really has its charms. I think fall has its charms. Christmas has its, you know, winter has its charms, especially if you go skiing, which I love, but like there's Christmas markets, there's all the holidays you're talking about. So it's not that I don't like them. I do enjoy it, but I miss I don't like being inside all the time. Like that's the hard part for me. Like, you don't, that doesn't bother you. It doesn't change. No, that does not bother me. It does not change at all. My amount of hours spent in the outdoors. There is no difference. Like, does that mean you spend a lot of time outside? No, no, no. Yeah. Cause it, in the summer, like where you live, it's hot outside. Right. So I'm definitely not outside. So I'm probably outside more Yeah, I'm probably outside more in the cold. That's so funny and ironic. (laughs) I like the cold. I like it. I just, I don't like when it's like dark and cold. It just feels sad and like gloomy. Oh, it feels dark and romantic and... Okay, I have to reframe. (laughs) To reframe it (laughs) to romantic. It's like the best lighting. And good lighting. It is. It's so, it's such good lighting. I think... And I was thinking of reflecting on this a lot today. I think part of it is because now we have a two-year-old. I think it makes me long for the summer even more because you're outside with them all day doing stuff. So in the winter, it just becomes more challenging because you're like, I want to go to the playground, but you're like, but it's freezing. <laughs> and like, we have to put on all these layers and like, I don't want to do it. Whereas like when it's warm out, at least like it's easy to do. So I think having a kid does change it. Another reason for me not to have a child. 
<laughs> I don't think I minded as much before. Yeah. But the lighting, actually, one of the things I, if I am ever going on dates and stuff, I'm like, I love that when the time change happens, because then I can go on slightly earlier dates because the lighting will be more favorable earlier. Okay. What do you mean by this lighting? Like, are you talking about selfie lighting? You're talking about like just lighting in general? Talking about, yes, like the harsh overhead lighting of the day just is not as flattering to me as the evening lighting. I get that. Like in photos? Mm-hmm. Like for that first, especially, or like if you're inside with a in a restaurant or a bar with windows, you can get weird side angle lighting that's just not flattering. But when it's dark outside, then you've only got the lighting of the restaurant, which is generally, usually, you know, more flattering, especially if you're going to like a, a nice place. But those windows, man, that side lighting, mm-mm. then you have to worry about where you're sitting. It's just, I just can't. It's too much. I don't think I've ever thought, <laughs> <laughs> but I love that you th- have thought about it. Oh, have I? Now I'm going to, and I'm going to be thinking about it more. That's why you got to get there early before your date so that you can scope out the seat that will have the best lighting. And, and it's important that your first moment being seen is from far away. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot that goes into this. I think that the, when Pete and I met, it was from far away the first time. Not super far. Like we were in a re- we were at a reception and he walked in with his friend and he was like, he made some comment <laughs> about how he, he thought I was really attractive. And we maybe were like 20 feet away. I don't know. Does that qualify? Oh, yeah. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yes, there's nothing better when you're first meeting a potential romantic person than having that far off first look. It's everything. That's so funny. Yeah. I'm thinking about my my ex, my other like serious relationship with before Pete. I saw him far far away. We saw each other from far away at a club. See? It's everything. <laughs> but I didn't see Pete. He saw me and then he came up close. <laughs> Wait, you didn't see Pete. Wait, wait, what? You didn't see Pete and then? He walked in and saw me and then him and his friend came up and introduced themselves to me. So I only saw him the first time up close. Well, that does put a wrench in my theory, but we need more data points. I love it. Well, on that note, now that listeners have learned so much (laughs) about how to perfectly organize their first. Yeah, good tips. I know. These are important tips. We should write a book. Yeah. About lighting. About, yes. <laughs> about tips for life. Shall we go into some questions? hmm Okay. So we have a kind of all over the place, interesting question here from, from Elena. And this is from Facebook. And she says, I've been intermittent fasting for four and a half years now. I like it as a lifestyle to lose a few pounds around the middle and to stay healthy. I am 48 years old, female, and on HRT, estradiol patch, and 200 milligrams progesterone pill at night. I'm 5'5", and I weigh 135 pounds. I'm an omnivore, and I eat lots of protein, and I'm low on the carbs. I eat everything organic and grass-fed. I mix up my fasting and eating window. I can fast easily to 19 hours, but after that, I get major tension in my shoulder that goes up to my neck and up to my head. 
It gets unbearable and then I need to eat. Once I eat, that tension goes away. I've tried electrolytes in my water throughout the day as I'm fasting and eating more protein the night before. I take your awesome magnesium eight in the daytime for headaches usually, and that works, but not in this particular situation. I'm following everything you and Jen and Cynthia and Vanessa have said on your awesome podcast. I've listened to all of your episodes. Is this stress on my body that's telling me to eat? I'm not hungry at all at this time. What is going on with my body? I also at this time feel very energetic, but in a negative way, like jittery. I've tested my glucose and it's in the high 70s and low 80s. I've heard about fasting energy, but I can't do anything with this energy because I can't focus. Do I just not like being in ketosis? For an experiment, I've made myself wait till 23 or 24 hours, and then I've eaten two hard-boiled eggs and one cup of bone broth, then gone to sleep and made it to 41 hours. And she said, last week, I tried eating just protein, steak, two hard-boiled eggs, and chicken, went to bed, and then made it to 48 hours but I can't get rid of that weird tension that happens after 19 hours. What is going on with my body? Thank you ahead of time for your help. I have some thoughts. I, I would say, you know, I'm a big fan of really paying attention to feedback from your body and being really in tune with how you feel when you're doing things. And, you know, the tension in the neck, which sounds very painful, it doesn't sound like good feedback or positive feedback from your body with this approach. The other thing that's really standing out for me is you sound like you are at a great healthy weight. So I'm not sure what the goal is with doing OMAD. Like if you are 48, it sounds like you're doing, as you said, HRT then it's hard to say without knowing explicitly what your goals were, but I'm imagining that you want to have a great body composition because you're doing HRT, you're eating lots of protein, and you know, you're really focusing on informing yourself on all the ways that this is beneficial for your body composition. So I'm not sure why you're fasting. I'm not sure why you're doing like OMAD. And it it does sound potentially like too much stress. Like it sounds like you're at a great weight, you know, after the age of 40, usually we really, really depend on other signals outside from the hormonal ones to make sure that we can have amazing body composition, build more muscle, maintain the muscle that we have, and also have strong bones And because you're on HRT, that's going to give you a bit of a boost, but your body's really going to be dependent on the protein feedings and on resistance training. So I'm not sure if you are doing that or not. I didn't see that in your question, but I would, I don't see what would be bad potentially about doing two meals a day, waking up in the morning, having a prioritized protein breakfast. Um, you know, seeing how you feel throughout the day, if you want to have a small protein meal or, you know, a, a light lunch in between that or not, and having dinner, like I, I just don't, I'm not sure what the motivation is for doing the OMAD, especially when you're getting this kind of feedback, like it sounds like pain, like considerable pain and tension in your neck, and also this jittery feeling. So to me, that's all feedback saying that this pattern is may not be optimal for you. And so I would definitely look into 
adjusting it, you know, trying to do a different approach with your meal timing and spacing. And it sounds like you, like I said, are at a healthy weight. Maybe you're just wanting to optimize your body composition, stay as strong or get as strong as possible. And so what would be more optimal for that, in my opinion, would be to have at least two protein meals a day, whether that's breakfast and dinner or lunch and dinner. And that's just my my initial thoughts on it. What about you, Melanie? I thought those were really great thoughts. I was actually thinking that similarly, especially in the beginning when she was talking about, and again, of course, we don't know her actual body composition, but based on her weight and height, she's, you know, in a normal BMI. And I like what you said about focusing on the protein and the body composition and how she doesn't have to be doing the one meal a day thing. My thoughts on the feeling that she gets in her neck and shoulder. I Okay. First of all, I will preface this by saying I have no idea. These are just my random thoughts. I have two thoughts of what it might be. One, some people do report when they fast that when they get farther into a fast, although I feel like this happens more with longer fasts, but that areas where they have damage or I don't know what the correct word would be, areas, problematic areas, especially muscle related, that those will start flaring up when they get into a fast because of the body going into a sort of repair mode. I don't know if that's what that is. I've just heard that people have experienced that. What it feels like maybe even more, it sounds like your body's going into, since you you feel very energetic, not hungry, but it's like a negative jittery energy. It sounds like you're going into the sympathetic dominant state. So basically the, like a high cortisol response to the fasting. I was expecting when you said that you tested your glucose, I actually thought it was going to be high because that would also be indicative of going into that state. And it's not, it's in the seventies and eight low eighties. I would actually be really curious if you were a Laney to wear a CGM, how those blood sugar levels compare to the rest of the day. I'd be really curious about that. But it does really sound like an increase in the sympathetic nervous system. And that definitely can lead to muscle tension and muscle spasms. And the fact that you eat and it goes away feels like it's, you know, shifting you back into the parasympathetic mode and mitigating that. So that would be my thought. It sounds like what you're doing, the fasting approach you're doing right now probably is not, like like Vanessa was saying, might not be the best fasting approach suited to you. So, and like Vanessa also said, I don't think you need to feel this dire need to have to do this longer fast. I really don't. Especially like the term, even the terminology she uses, like, like, so she went 23 or 24 hours, had two hard boiled eggs and a cup of bone broth, went to sleep and then made it to 41 hours. Yeah. I, I definitely get that as well from, from the terminology and, and just the tone that there's like a, maybe a thought that you need to fast for as long as possible, you know, and I, I do think that there's a place for extended fasting, but it would be without like any food at all. Like just that's like water fasting, extended water fasting done for the purpose of like deep autophagy, immune reset, 
you know, cellular renewal, mitophagy, et cetera. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push it. You know, there's really nothing wrong with, <laughs> with changing up, you know, your approach, you know, especially if you're feeling uncomfortable. And I, I just think it's great that you're listening to the feedback from your body you know, you're observing it, but it, it sounds like, you know, it's, it's not the most suited, the best suited for you. So I'd, I wish I knew more about what your goals were with it. Cause then I feel like I could give you better feedback, you know, on, on what to do, but I'm just going to assume that you want to have great body composition. If you listen, you know, to the three of our podcasts mm-hmm. and you've been, you know, upping your protein and, and all of that. So yeah, let us know. I would love to know how it goes if you decide to to change it up and you know see if you get even better results. And also one final thought, something you could also try if for whatever reason you do want to do these 20 like these one meal a day approaches, you could try having more carbs and protein and seeing what happens and see if that has an effect. It might be that the fasting plus the low carb is just too much stress and you need more carbs. So that would be something to experiment with as well. Yeah. Shall we go on to our next question? Yes. The next question is from Debbie and comes to us on Facebook. What is your Carol bike experience so far? Yes. So I haven't updated about this in a while, but I am still loving my Carol bike I actually did have an interview with the founder on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but basically it continues to be just the best way to easily integrate physical activity into my daily life and get the maximum benefit when it comes to cardiovascular benefits in particular, like cholesterol mitigating benefits, longevity benefits, and, it, and basically what Carol is, is it is a bike that uses AI to adjust the resistance in the actual bike. And then you do a track that is, it's like a HIT workout, a high intensity interval training, but it's called Rehit, which is the most optimized form of that for minimal amount of time. So the, the track I've landed on, which is their main track, is just two 20 second bursts. That's it, which is crazy. And then there's like a warm up, an in between, and a cool down. And you don't even have to do the warm up, I learned. I thought you did, but when I interviewed the founder, I realized you can just start all out sprinting and start with the sprint if you want. So it can actually literally be six minutes and you can do it. They recommend doing it three times a week, although you can do it more. And it's just seriously the easiest thing. And then I've talked about this before, but the the track that you can use it treats you like you're a hunter gatherer and it like talks you through <laughs> like when you're like in the slow part of it it treats you like you're walking in the woods and like finding food for your family and all this stuff and then you see like a tiger and then like it like screams at you and yells at you and like the screen goes bright red and it like it's like run faster it's like your family needs you and then you're like running and oh, it is just the best when i did it i actually saw a big change in my HbA1c, and it's hard to know if it was just the bike or other lifestyle factors, but I did see drops in my cholesterol panel and changes in my HbA1c. So I am loving it. You can get it at carolbike.com and the coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you $100 off, especially for people who are not 
gym type goers such as myself. This is just like my new favorite thing. Oh, which speaking of, Vanessa, do you know who I'm interviewing tomorrow? Who? Did you ever do P90X growing up? I definitely like saw it and it was big. We definitely had those DVDs. So I'm interviewing Tony Horton, who's like a legend in the um the workout world. And he looks, man, he is doing something right. He's I looked him up. He's 65 and he looks I mean, I was watching a podcast of him recently prepping. He literally looks like he's in his 40s. <sighs> it's inspiring. Mark Sisson is also also looks amazing. He, do you know he's 70? Yeah. I think I saw his post where he was like, I can't believe I'm 70. <laughs> have you seen him? Have you met him in person? No, I haven't. Like you are more always more in like the paleo side of things. Like whereas I kind of skipped paleo and went right to keto. But I've over the years, I've gotten to know more and more people from the paleo side, usually because they come to keto. <laughs> but, but but yeah, I I don't follow as many of the paleo people I know that, that you do. Yeah, they're, they look great. Yeah. Exercise, whole foods. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you were in the US and we could get you a Carol bike as well. I think you would like it. Oh, I definitely want to get one from hearing, you know, all the updates and just how efficient it is because like I don't have time to like do much, you know, exercise right now and I'm going to have even less time coming up. So for me, I'm all about the the micro <laughs> workouts or the micro, you know, the biohacks. Like I literally need all the hacks. Like I need the hacks because I I just don't have the the luxury of time right now. So it sounds like you can get a pretty efficient workout done. And not only that, it's better than the, the majority of the workouts you would be doing for cardiovascular health, which cardiovascular disease is the number one leading cause of mortality. And, oh, you also wear a, a heart rate strap. So it's measuring your heart rate and making adjustments. Yes, it's definitely the optimal, efficient way to, quote, hack the... The exercise side of things. So highly recommend. Shall we go on to our next question? Yes, I would love to. All right. So this is also from Facebook and it comes from Marina and she wants to know the pros and cons of extended fasting and protein sparing modified fasting between the two, which is better for weight loss. And then we actually also had another question from Tara and it's similar. So I will read both of them. She says, Fat fasting versus protein sparing modified fasting versus irregular fasting, which is better, but she wants to know, especially out of the first two. Okay, so all the options we have here we have extended fasting, protein sparing modified fasting, fat fasting, regular fasting. Okay. Yeah, I want to answer them separately in a way because the first one, I know what the goal is, the target is weight loss, but the second one, it just says which is better from the question from Tara. So I'm not sure for what, but I'll explain what I think each one is optimal for. So extended fasting, I only recommend for doing autophagy, for deep autophagy, because really that deep autophagy, although you can get autophagy from lots of different things, like including exercise and it's not just fasting, but extended fasting is one of the evidence-based ways that you can really like really deepen autophagy, especially when you get to the 36 hour plus mark, 
you know, you get that immune reset, the cellular renewal. <laughs> My skin always feels as soft as Luca's after, which is crazy. Like I can't stop touching my face because of all of the cellular cleansing and renewal that happens in the dermis and the skin. And there's so many, you know, benefits for longevity and anti-aging. So I personally have practiced doing uh, seasonal fasts for four, between three to five days. I usually get to four to five, four or five days on most of them annually, which ends up being three to four times a year. And that is just for the purpose of autophagy. There's a little bit of of weight loss that usually comes with it, but it's for such a short period of time that, you know, it's it's not really like tangible weight loss that you can maintain well. And that's one of the keys when it comes to quality weight loss or fat loss, you know, where you're just losing mostly fat and you're preserving or maintaining your lean mass. You know, I think that one of the, that is one of the, you know, main priorities when it comes to it. And so I much prefer protein sparing modified fasting for that. If I have to choose between the two, neither of these is my top for fat loss, but choosing between the two, I would say protein sparing modified fasting is a dominant option to extended fasting. The main reason is the lean body mass loss can be higher during extended fasting and a big side, a big part of, of having successful fat loss is the maintenance. So you want to do something that is going to help you to not only protect as much of your lean mass as possible, but also maintain the results. Whereas with fasting, what I see when people do that for fat loss is they usually gain back a lot of what they lose and they also lose a lot of muscle doing it when they're doing extended fasting for weight loss. So I definitely prefer protein sparing modified fasting. That's really the whole point of it. You know, when I went back and went through all the obesity research to study the origins of protein sparing modified fasts and the two doctors who initially came up with it, one of them was George Blackburn. They came up with it as a way to help spare and protect lean body mass when people were in extended bed rest. And so they wanted to make sure that people would be able to not lose as much muscle as possible when they were basically in an extended catabolic state. So that's the whole point behind it is to just lose pure fat where most of what you're eating is protein. So your body has no choice but to go to your fat stores. And in terms of the protocols, of people doing protein sparing modified fasting on a daily basis, I think that's always recommended in the obesity research for either obese or morbidly obese. So being over, I believe for women, it's over 34% body fat is obese. And then morbidly obese, I'm not sure what exactly the percentage is for that, but typically doing that every day is recommended for those scenarios and with doctor supervision. But there are people more and more now who are using it to break through fat loss stalls, weight loss stalls by adding in one to two days a week of a protein spraying modified fast day. And that would be, you know, we've talked about it many times on other episodes, but it's usually around, averages around 800 calories. It's mostly lean protein and a little bit of carb, a minimal amount of fat. And it's just two days out of out of the week where you're eating at a regular caloric deficit on the other days during a fat loss phase. So that's the first question. Do you have anything to add on that before we go to the next one, Melanie? 
I feel the exact same way. I do think, and I know we've talked about this on recent episodes, and we've talked about this a lot throughout the show, which by the way, if you go to ifpodcast.com and you use the search bar, you can search through to find other episodes where we've talked about things. All of the episodes actually have transcripts, so that search will actually find really anywhere that we've talked about things before. I agree as well. For fast, rapid, quote, fat loss, protein-sparing modified fasting, I think is the smartest way to go to, and this is just saying what Vanessa said, but basically to preserve muscle while really giving your body nothing else to burn except fat, which is a reason that it can be so effective. And um, agreed as well about extended fasting. I, I would not use that for weight loss, especially for people who, especially for people who are normal weight. And I probably wouldn't even for people who are overweight because I think that they can get the benefits while not engaging in that. However, there are some people, especially with the supervision of a doctor, where that might be a way to launch everything. But in general, I would not really go that route. And I know Vanessa and I both, did you already air your episode with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon? I mean, I know by by the time this comes out, you will have. It came out yesterday, actually. Okay, that's why I I thought I saw it. So I know talking with her, especially, and reading her book, Forever Strong, which I highly, highly recommend it'll really make you become aware of the importance of preserving muscle. It is just so, so important. So yeah, I would prioritize that in your weight loss approach for sure. And especially you you mentioned it, but the effects of like just being sedentary or bed rest and how fast you lose muscle is crazy. And we know that people on extended fasting tend to move less. Like they tend to become more sedentary in their their movement, their daily movement. Yeah, and then we didn't even really talk about the metabolic slowdown that can happen from, you know, being in that mode. Like, so you have less non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is a big part of your, your overall resting metabolic rate, the NEAT. But then you also are potentially losing that super valuable metabolically active tissue, which is the lean mass, which will give you a higher metabolic rate. And then lastly, with a protein sparing modified fast, you're eating protein, which also has that 20 to 30% thermic effect where 20 to 30% of the calories consumed as protein are burned off just in consuming it. So it's like a triple, you know, whammy. And most people don't feel that hungry when they do those days. So definitely a much bigger fan of the latter than the former. Oh, and just to comment really quickly on the thermic effect of food, one of the questions I got really excited about with Gabrielle, because it was something I've been wondering for so long, and I was excited that she actually had thought about it prior to me asking her. I asked her, because she talks in her book about how the thermic effect of protein, how protein can be used structurally, you know, that's its main quote purpose is the amino acids are being used structurally in the body, but then it can also be used, turned into glucose yeah, I guess those are the the two ways that it would go. Or it can be, I guess, just kind of wasted. But I asked her, is the thermic effect different in the beginning, like when it's being used structurally compared to at the end, like compared to when you've already met your cap for structural needs and you're going more, turning it into glucose or just wasting it, was the thermic effect different? And she said, 
She thinks it is. She thinks the thermic effect becomes more when you surpass your needs. Does that make sense? I'm not sure. I mean, I I thought it was mostly coming from the high ATP energy needs of muscle protein synthesis. So wouldn't that be the first part? Yes, that would be the first part. Although I guess, do you know what the energetic conversion requirements of converting protein into glucose or just wasting it? Well, I don't know compared with wasting it, but I know like Dr. Don Lehman has said that like in some of the the rodent studies they did that eating a high protein meal was equivalent energetically to going for an hour long run. In the rodents? Yeah. Was that um hypochloric or like an isochloric or a um hypercaloric? I don't know. I I didn't ask him about the details of it, but that's just something that we've like talked about a few times that but we know it's it's twenty to thirty, it's between twenty to thirty percent of the protein that you consume. So actually I pulled up the transcript and so Gabrielle said So basically what I asked her, I said, I'm curious because you talk in the book about how the amino acids from when we eat a meal, they're used structurally, but they can also be used as fuel. Oh yeah. She does talk about that, how they can be used as fuel. And then they can also be converted into essentially glucose. Do you know if the thermic effect of protein differs based on how you're using those amino acids? And she says it does. She says that's why you see variations in the literature from 15 to potentially 20% of this thermic effect of food. So if you're eating 100 grams of just pure protein, your body might recognize 80 calories of protein. Or if you're eating 100 calories of protein, if you're eating it all in a particular meal threshold, again, this is my thoughts as well as Dawn's, shout out to who Vanessa was just talking about, that it's that muscle protein synthesis response that generates the variations and thermic effect of feeding. So if it's lower, maybe you're influencing the thermic effect of feeding at 15%. But when you're hitting this threshold and challenging the machinery, that is what makes a difference. And then I clarified, I said, is that the thermic effect ramps up when you're going past the limit? And she said, yes. Yeah. So that's for sure. Like if you hit 2.5 grams of leucine in your blood, then you will exceed that leucine threshold in the blood. And that's when muscle protein synthesis is triggered. And that's when you would have that high energetic demand for ATP to go then and synthesize the muscle. But if you don't hit 2.5, like if you are only eating 20 grams of protein at all your meals instead of 30, you're not hitting that threshold So you still get a thermic effect, but it's just not as robust because you're not actually triggering muscle protein synthesis. So is the takeaway still that the more you, are you saying the more protein you eat, the higher the thermic effect regardless? Yes. But you were saying about like the time, like whether it would be higher, it would be higher later versus higher. Did you mean it would be higher with more protein? Right, the timeline because you have to hit this pro, you have to hit a threshold. Okay. So, yeah, I thought I was confused because I thought you were saying like once you, like, it has more to do with the duration, but I guess the duration applies to the fact that you would have consumed more protein. Yes. And I could see why you would ask that question (laughs) specifically. 
Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the timeline was purely that. Yeah. It's like looking at a timeline that only is growing based on eating more. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I didn't. I understand in that context what you mean. But I don't, if someone is continuing to eat protein, but if like they eat protein and then they stop, but they've only had 20 grams, then in that sense, they would never hit the leucine threshold. So the thermic effect would always be the same. It wouldn't like increase even though more time has passed. Oh yeah. I had, mine had nothing to do with time at all. Just eating more. But you mean, yeah, eating more in that time. Like later in the meal, if I, I I'm not sure what I said, but like later in the meal because you're eating continually. Yeah, that totally makes sense. More protein. Okay. Same page. I used to think about this when I went on a super high protein diet and I was, I mean, I was basically doing PSMF, but like not calorie restricted. I would just eat protein and like more and more and more. And I was so curious about the fate and the thermic effect of that protein after eating you know, massive amounts. Yeah. I think that the confusion comes down to the different ways that, that we eat. Like you eat over an extended period of time. I like with my protein meals, like they're pretty brief. (laughs) So for me, longer time is like, it doesn't change the amount, but for you, longer time does. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Although, yeah, I literally though just meant it based on eating more. I didn't mean it about time. No, that's super fascinating. I'm I'm glad you asked her that. So all the rabbit holes. What about fat fasting? Yeah. So I don't really. Okay. So again, it's hard for me to answer this without the goal. Like if you're asking which is better for fat loss, clearly protein spraying modified fasting would be much more beneficial than either fat fasting or regular fasting. If you're asking which is better for like deep ketosis, then fat fasting would be better than protein sparing modified fast. And even regular fasting would be even more so than that because you're not triggering any insulin at all. Although the insulin amount is minimal with fat. So if the goal is like medical ketosis or getting into deep ketogenesis, then I would say like regular fasting, assuming that's water only fasting, then fat fasting, and then protein spraying modified fast. So it really, really, really comes down to the goal because I'm not really a fan of the way that most people do fat fasting. And I think it it sometimes is recommended to people for fat loss because it lowers insulin. But the best way to really lower like fasting insulin or basal insulin, which is like most of our insulin need is by losing fat in the fat cells. And so that would be through fat loss, which would be optimized through protein spraying modified fast out of those three. Because again, with the fat fasting and the regular fasting, there is the risk of of lean body mass loss. So it really comes down to the goal. Yeah, and I'll just, because I don't think we defined what fat fasting is. It's basically, well, people do it different ways, but it's basically eating just fat. People will do it with, like butter. Some people will do it with not completely fat food. Like they'll do it sometimes with like macadamia nuts, which are very high fat. They might do it with, I mean, really anything that's, some people will even do it with like avocados and stuff. So they don't necessarily do it completely fat. I've only seen it with just pure fat, like fat in coffee, 
fat and bone broth maybe. This was from my my like low carb Atkins days. I would be in the forums back in the forum days. There are a lot of manifestations of people doing fat fasting. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, because I did it once and I did it with macadamia nuts and that was miserable. I bet it would be. Because <laughs> those just make you hungry. I mean, for me, those just made me hungrier. I think all nuts have an appetite stimulating effect because they have carb and fat. Like that's what I don't, it's the same with avocados. It's like high carb, high fat. So yeah. So some people would do it. I, people would give it really vague percentages. Like, oh, if you're like 90% fat, but then some people do it more by the book, like just butter or things like that. Yeah. I, I did it with cream cheese. I did it with cream cheese. That's what I did it with as well. I tried that. Is there any protein in that or is it pure fat? There might be like a gram. There is a tiny bit of carbs, but it's primarily fat. Oh, I can I can taste it now. It's coming back to me. Oh, I love cream cheese. So, <laughs> and I would, oh, I would like mix it with, this was also in my pre-paleo days. I would mix it with like erythritol and it would literally taste like icing. Yeah. Or cheesecake. I've definitely had variations of that when I was doing like Atkins style you know, the induction or whatever, which is like pretty similar to keto. Yeah, it was really, it's very tasty. But the second, the most recent time I did it was when I first started keto and I actually gained a ton of weight from doing it. Like I put on 20 pounds and that was like my first, you know, my first experience with keto is I was like, I just have to get really high ketones. You know, I was following the advice of of some people who were not really putting out the best advice, which I've since learned. And I was getting these ketones of like 4.8, 6.0. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm killing it. My insulin must be so low. I must just be like, you know, torching the fat. And I was like, I think my dryer is shrinking my clothes. Like I seriously thought that. <laughs> I seriously thought that. And Pete and I went to Vegas, to Las Vegas for a holiday, the two of us. It was just like a weekend thing. And we asked someone to take a picture of us in the same place that we had had this cute picture of us taken a year ago. And I saw the photo and I was like, oh my gosh, I've gained 20 pounds. And that was how I realized because I was like in denial or something before that. I seriously thought my dryer was shrinking my clothes. Like I was like, why are my clothes suddenly all tighter? (laughs) And then I was like, I better weigh myself. I was like, oh no, I gained 20 pounds. And it was all the cream cheese and just eating like all the high fat dairy because I was very misinformed. And I thought all I have to do, it was kind of like fat fasting. All I have to do is get my my insulin down and get in deep ketosis, get those high ketones, and I'm going to lose all the fat. And that's really not how it works, I learned. <laughs> so, but... Having done it, I understand people who make the same mistake and it's, yeah, it's really not the best for fat loss. I just remember existing in that mindset where I was like, I'm in ketosis, all this fat that I eat, my body's not going to store it. It's just going to, I don't know what I thought it was going to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going to burn it, excrete it, which is just 
I think I honestly think that's one of the biggest because I love the low carb keto movement. I, I do think that's one of the biggest misconceptions and disservices done to people in their fat loss journeys. Did you interview Craig Emmerich yet? I did. So I interviewed him when we were in Greece. It was like two weeks ago, three three weeks ago. And that's all we talked about <laughs> was like all the bad information that's being recommended to people on exactly this. Yep. Quite an issue. And he really explains so well the differences between like the basal insulin. That's what I found the most fascinating from our conversation was that most of your insulin needs are coming from the basal insulin just to keep energy stored away. And those post-meal spikes are like 10% if you're doing low carb. But yeah, it was really fascinating. Yeah, it's Gary Tobbs talks about that as well. Like basically he thinks you have an insulin threshold and that's exactly what I brought up with Craig. <laughs> Cuz I posted the the one of the charts he has in his book that shows that if you have a basal insulin of 25 and above that typically you have a really hard time losing weight. And this was a study done in lean college students. And as soon as you go under 25, it's much easier to lose weight and have a high metabolic health. But yeah, I, I was like, I brought up exactly him and his book and that that study when we were talking. I forgot to do interview Gary. Yes. I interviewed him when he put out The Case for Keto. Okay, same. And I love that that study. It was really fascinating. And I think it does bring up you know, the importance of getting that fasting insulin down, of getting that basal insulin down, because it's it's so much more of the insulin demand on the body is from that basal insulin and not from like the the post-meal spikes or the exercise spikes, which people think their insulin is spiking when they exercise, but it's not. Insulin's actually going lower, but to let glucose out. Anyway, (laughs) probably digressing here. No, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Well... Lots of fasting fun on the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you would like to submit your own questions to the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can get these show notes at ifpodcast.com slash episode 348. They will have a full transcript and links to everything that we talked about. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon and Vanessa is ketogenic girl. All righty. Anything from you, Vanessa, before we go? I loved all the questions. I feel like we got to more of them than usual, so I'm pretty happy. I know. I was like, we're speeding along. We're just all the people. Loved it. Awesome. Well, this has been absolutely fabulous, and I will talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice, and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.